Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. I'm the publisher and owner of a media company in the Hudson Valley, New York. I launched this podcast to highlight and discuss topics without fear. My aim is to have a free exchange of ideas and an open and honest discussion on the issues of the day. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. Welcome to Hudson Valley Uncensored. My name is Brett Freeman. We haven't had a show in a while, so I'm excited to uh, have a show with an expanded uh, group of people on the show. We have our editors, uh, Tom Wallagorski, Brian Marshauser, and Bob Dumas. We also have our reporters, Gino DeAngelis, Anderson, Sofia Casalnova, and Tom Bartley joining us today. So uh, excited to have everybody on the show. I would say the thing that I'm personally most excited about at the moment that big for Halston Media. Halston Media is a, the company that owns uh, this podcast and uh, all the newspapers. We are launching a sixth publication. It's a monthly publication called the Mount Kisco Bedford Times. And it is going to be coming out the week that this podcast gets released, uh, the week of May 16th. So, uh, Tom, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Tom uh, Walagorski. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, it's uh, very exciting. It's the, the proverbial roller coaster feeling of starting up a, a new newspaper. This is actually the second time in my career that I've been part of, you know, a new publication launching. So it's, you know, it's definitely equal parts uh, exciting and terrifying, but um, <laughs> we've been really pounding the pavement here. We have a lot of good stuff coming for the first issue. So our coverage area includes Mount Kisco, Bedford and Pound Ridge. So we've been kind of all over those three towns. I really think that we've got a great group of stories. We cover a lot of different things in our first issue. And it's around that school district as well. Yeah, the Bedford School yep. District is kind mm-hmm. of the, the thing that unites everybody. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, uh, Witt can speak a little more. He's been my point man for the school district. So he's been covering a bunch of stories there. We covered the, the local fire departments, named their new fire chiefs. So we have that. Um, our reporter, Cal Reif, she attended Martha Stewart's tag sale down in uh, Bedford which is a nice little, um, you know, kind of local interest story, uh, celebrity connection. So she did a whole write-up on that. I was down in Pound Ridge at a community forum with Congressman uh, Sean Patrick Maloney. And uh, very informative, just uh, they discussed everything from global politics to leaf blowers in town. They covered a lot of ground there. So it was a very interesting kind of insight into what's on people's minds down in Pound Ridge. We spoke with the Bedford School's athletic director. He kind of gave us an update on some of the things that are coming to the district athletic-wise. We have an athlete spotlight. We have community events. There's the uh, the farmer's market in Mount Kisco is starting back up, which just did a really nice write-up on all of that. So yeah, we've been covering a lot of ground. So you know, very excited for the new paper. Everybody should watch out for that on, uh, on May 19th. That's fantastic. I'm personally excited. We have on our sales side, we have a lot of clients who are very excited to reach uh, this audience. It's a very coveted audience, uh, You know, these three communities. And what's exciting... The business model we've chosen is always, we always choose these towns that are kind of adjacent to the towns we already cover. And the theory, which is, has proved correct for the last 12 years, is that we have all these clients. I mean, obviously, if you're a pizza place in town, you might only attract people who live in the, in the town. But you know, if you're a contractor or whatever, um, or um, a supermarket, or a real estate agent, or a lawyer, you're going to want to reach people in the surrounding communities. So I know that we have a lot of clients who are really excited to reach this new audience. You know, I'm excited to reach this new audience too. I'm proud of Halston Media really being quite dominant now. I mean, we are the dominant media source in Northern Westchester and Putnam County. 
quite excited about that. And that's so, the thing too, yeah. like just from people that I've spoken with, like people are excited that we're here. You know, they know who we are. Like you said, you know, being adjacent to the towns that we already cover, like we have, you know, we do, we have brand recognition. There wasn't a lot of explaining, you know, who I am and what I'm doing here. You know, people know about Halston and what we do. And I, I think they're generally excited to have us be a part of the communities, which is, you know, which is awesome to see. I love hearing that feedback, Tom. I think that's actually the first time you told me that. I'm excited to hear that. That makes me feel we've accomplished something pretty good in the last 12 years. No, that was a, that was a concern of mine. That's why I said it's you know it's equal parts exciting and terrifying because it's like you you really are starting from scratch. You know, going myself, sending Wit and Carol and freelancers, photographers, and it's like well, this is the first time people are meeting with us, and it was nice to have that. The, Felt very accepting right away, and just that people were aware of the work that we've been doing already, you know, yes. and putting into this. So it's it's good to see. And it has also yeah. a nice overlap with um, our Katona Lusbro Times because Katona Lusbro Times obviously covers you know half that geography is in the side of the town of Bedford, mostly within a different school district. Yeah, I just wanted to interject real yeah. quickly. Well, we're uh, Pound Ridge used to be my beat when I worked for Daily Voice. It was one of my beats, so I still know some people over there, Tom and. Oh, nice. Jobs. Yeah, I'm definitely yeah. Be, uh, I might be able to provide. But one of the things I was just reading about that might be a story for you guys is Richard Gear. Yep, Richard Gear is on our uh, is on our list here. We're still tracking down uh, some information about that. That he he sold his house. Oh wow! Yeah, he sold his house in Pound Ridge for a ridiculous amount of money compared to what he paid for it back in like 1986 or whenever he first bought it. But you know, Richard will be leaving the Pound Ridge community, apparently. But he came to North Salem, so there is no escape from me. Oh, okay. So he went from one one of our papers to the other. But yeah, he sold it, I think, for $25 million. I could be wrong so, about that. Like that. But, but yeah, it was but funny. Just, it yeah. went backwards. We did the story about him moving to North Salem, and now we got to uh, do the follow-up with Pound Ridge. Yeah, yeah. I think he bought it for like $1.5 million in 86 and just sold it for like $20 million or something like that. So... Nice, uh, uh, nice problem to have. Yeah. So anyway, I still know some players over there and some feature ideas for you. So be more than happy to contribute wherever I can. You know? No, absolutely. I appreciate that. Bob, that's awesome. Um, and that's exciting that he's moving to North Salem. I know North Salem. I know the people there. They'll want us to be subtle in any kind of coverage. We were, but I mean, we did have to. Uh, and uh, Carol nailed the headline. Changing gears was, I mean, that's... Yeah, I love that. That's great. That's great. Did you get any negative feedback from that, Tom? No, no. And I don't know. We we covered the celebrity stuff. When, you know, we did uh, Bill Gates' daughter's yep. wedding. We don't make a huge deal about it, but I feel it's the same as Martha Stewart's tag sale. I mean, it yeah. definitely has a place in the paper. You know, it'll, it'll get people interested. Celebrity stuff always plays. Yeah, yeah. I know one point when we did top 10 list, it was not well received about David Letterman. So yeah, uh, yeah. We, that was before my time. But yeah, I heard we made an enemy of David Letterman there. That's just, that's not good. <laughs> Yeah, well, when I was in Pound Ridge, I found they weren't that sensitive about their celebrities, and they have a lot over there too. And the Daily Voice used to give us cash incentives for every story we wrote about a, a celebrity. Really? Yeah, it's good clickbait, I guess. Well, it was more. I remember when we got an interview with them, less than writing about them, right? I think I scored an interview with Chris Williams, who's Vanessa Williams' brother. Um, I was writing for a Daily Chappaqua at that point. So we. I remember it. that. Yeah. How much cash? I don't remember exactly. I can't remember. Fifty or hundred bucks, hundred bucks. All like right, let, yeah. let this be a new official Halston Media <laughs> policy. Anybody who lands an interview with a celebrity will get hundred bucks. I will, I will go sit outside Richard Gere's house right now. <laughs> okay. the, um, I don't want to say too much because you know I, I promised the town supervisor I wouldn't. But a, a celebrity couple digits with the Lewisboro. One of our reporters did 
meet them at a local Easter event and they, they requested their privacies. There's, there's plenty of celebrities around here. We tried with that one, but we got shut down. So yeah, Brian and I discussed this and we decided, you know, we'll pick a fight for another day and, and hopefully these two individuals will appreciate respecting their privacy. And maybe- know, now, now you put out this celebrity bounty here. I guess that's <laughs> more priorities. Yeah, but how do you define celebrity? You know, that's, that's true. Point, yeah. I, I'm, I'm oh, these two people in Lewisboro are, major celebrities yeah yeah I, they're met gala invitees celebrity you know that level after we go off the air i'm gonna have to hear about that <laughs> <laughs> anyway um if you want to chime in you know about you know your experience with um the mount kisco bedford times and your reporting with that yeah brett like you and tom have been saying we're trying to positively ingrain ourselves into the community it's a little tough based on what's been going on in the bedford central school district regarding a scandal i've been covering involving special ed students. Photos were taken of them in the high school boys' bathroom with their students and distributed amongst the student body and on social media. The parents were furious at the district's response. So now the parents are going after the board, the district, the police are investigating, the district's hiring a third party to investigate the incident at the administration. So that's just been an ongoing story that you know, like I said, we're trying to positively ingrain ourselves, but it's it's something that needs to be covered. And then even on top of that, there's just been not as scandalous or anything, but there's a proposed budget for the next new school year that will be voted on May 17th. There's potentially a universal pre-K program that's going to be introduced that the board just accepted the grant money for, but in order to move forward with it, there's a bunch of other logistics they have to figure out. So a lot going on, much more than I expected for a, a random school district that I didn't know too much about before. Well, Wit, good job introducing yourself to the community with, with the school district. You know, Tom Walgorski and I, we definitely discussed this topic. You know, it's always been our philosophy at Halston Media. You know, we don't seek out controversy. We don't go on fishing expeditions. I know there's some media outlets who go on fishing expeditions trying to find controversial stories to talk about. And that's never been our approach. But at the same time, we don't avoid controversy either. I think it's wrong to avoid controversy because when you avoid controversy, you, you're not serving all the constituents in town. And there is a constituency in the community who is upset. And I think we would be doing a disservice to not cover it. So good job covering that with I mean, the first board meeting I went to, I, I just expected to be, you know, typical board meeting, typical topics, but that essentially took over the second half and it was, it was wild. Oh, yeah. We, we kind of dropped wit into a meat grinder there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, let's go into some of our other towns. You know, we cover Mayapak, Somers, your town, North Salem and Katona, Lewisboro. Maybe I'll start off with uh, some of our reporters right now. Gino, you want to give a little update what you're working on? Yeah. So right now I'm working on a story about Sean Patrick Maloney's press conference he had on Monday in Lewisboro. He was officially announcing the Oak Ridge water treatment plant was getting $1.8 million to expand their filtration system because there's an elevated level of like, uh, it's called PFAS, which is a cleaning chemical solution residue. So he was there. A couple members of the town board were there. They all gave a speech and talked about what the new system is going to be like and how long it should take to be put in, which is like two years or three years, I think it was. I have to go back and look again. And then I'm also working on a preview of Katona's 125th celebration, which is May 21st. 
125 so, years of being a, uh, a Hamlet or what 125 exactly? years since they moved from old Katona to new Katona. Got it. Okay. So they moved the downtown you're saying? Yeah. New York city was going to flood old Katona to create the Muscoot reservoir. And so the people, rather than give up their homes, moved them. So the Muscoot reservoir, is it man-made? Oh yeah. I don't know that. I mean, I think what they did was they dammed up some water. Okay. A body of water existed and they dammed it up for use by the city. I don't know the history of the city water supply, but I've just assumed that was the origin. Great, great. Tom Bartley, while I have you talking, if you want to share with our uh, listeners what you're what you're working on. Yeah, the state law that legalized marijuana and legalized the sale of marijuana from uh, local retail outlets allowed towns to opt out of that to forbid these retail outlets in their towns. Bedford did that. Now it's having second thoughts and they may want to opt back in. They also want to give residents an opportunity to protest that force a permissive referendum, a townwide vote in November. Are the second thoughts because of philosophical reasons or economic reasons or a little both? They outline three reasons. One of it is social justice. Okay. Um, Poor people, people of color have been penalized more than others by this law. They say there's an element of social justice in legalizing marijuana and obviously putting it up for sale. Two, it does have an economic base. It will bring traffic to the town if you have these outlets. And so other merchants might benefit from that traffic. But number three, they get a cut of 13% sales tax on marijuana. You have the potential for a huge revenue gain, six figures. I I think if they got one half of 1% of the anticipated state sales, it amounts to something like $225,000 going to the town's coffers, which is a pretty nice piece of change. And I think that probably more than anything else drives this. Interesting. I did a story, uh, actually won an award with the New York Pest Association about Great Barrington, their first store there, Theory Wellness, and it brought a tremendous amount of revenue to the town. And, you know, look, I've gone to Theory Wellness. I will say the diverse clientele, you know, if you've st- stood online there, there's professionals and there's young people, old people, men, women, people dress professionally, people dress not professionally, you know, so there's a very diverse crowd of people who seek out marijuana. And I'll also tell you from my interview there as well, you know, people choose that in lieu of narcotics. People have pain management that they have to worry about. Anyway, I personally think, I know you're the reporter, so you can't give your opinion. I personally think uh, Bedford's doing the right thing there. I'm going to jump over to Sophia now. Hello. So there's a bunch of different things going on in Yorktown right now. One big one is that Yorktown is going to invest $1.2 million into the community center and the theater, like the Yorktown Stage Theater. That was decided at the town board meeting on Tuesday. So that is something big. I am covering that this week. Something a little more lighthearted on Friday. It's going to be the Paint the Town Purple. It's like a preview to Relay for Life. There's going to be members of the Lions there. So I'm going to be there. I look forward to that. I used to work for Relay for Life, so I look forward to that. But something cool in this fall, they're trying to build a haunted house property in the back of the JV Mall in the parking lot. So it's going to be like a three-part thing. They're going to have a haunted mansion, a haunted toy store, and a haunted hospital. And it's going to be like this big thing where like you kind of like walk through, but it's all live so it's all actors like touching you and like coming up in your ear and being really creepy 
but the town seemed pretty excited about that at the meeting as well. I like that. That sounds exciting. As a publisher, years ago, when Relay for Life was really huge, I would get solicited by the people running the Relays for Lifes or Relays for Life to uh, sponsor and run advertising. Certainly, going forward in future years, I'm assuming you know these will get big again now that the pandemic's over. So if everyone can kind of keep their eyes and ears open and also, you know, please, we want to support the community. I know Relay for Life is important. It, it supports the American Cancer Society. So when you're talking to your Relay for Life, your local committees, please let them know. We'd love to sponsor it. And again, I'm, I'm surprised no one's reached out to us to ask us to sponsor it. So Brian, I'm going to, I'm going to jump over to you. Yeah. So right now I, I, I'm working on a lawsuit that just kind of landed in my inbox last night, actually. And without getting too much into the weeds, these overlay zones that the town of Yorkton approved last year basically legalized certain uses in the Yorktown Shites Hamlet. They mapped out a specific area where these mixed use, basically what an overlay district does, it was as according to the way they planned it out, is it's, it's encouraging mixed use development and it relaxes density and bulk requirements. So in layman's terms, these buildings can be bigger and larger and have a larger footprint than, than they would in under the normal zoning. So the town approved these overlay zones. And of course, you know, developers are very interested. The more units they can have, the more money they can make. So they're very interested in that. So one of those developments, 148 units was proposed for the former Soundview prep site. It's a mix of townhouses, condos, and an apartment building. It would be mostly senior housing. 118 to 148 units would be quote unquote senior friendly the way they termed it. Basically, you know, there've been people since the beginning, who were afraid that, you know, this is like, this project is an affront to Yorktown's history. It would ruin this bucolic property. And the property, by the way, is now privately owned. It was purchased by uh, Paul Galaro, Unicorn Contracting, which uh, owns the Caramount building across the street and also owns the uh, former Seal Manor building in Jefferson Valley. So, you know, he has a pretty huge financial stake in Yorktown now. So he owns his property. It's a historic site, the Soundview site. It's, it was home to Many, many historic figures in Yorktown. I forget their names. I don't want to butcher their names, but Underhill and Keir, if you actually drive around Yorktown, you'll see their names all over the streets. These are the people who lived at this property and centuries old, These some of these buildings. And uh, they're going to restore one of the main buildings, but all the other buildings are coming down. They're too far gone, according to them. But anyway, getting to the lawsuit, it was on Article 78 was filed at the end of April. And Article 78, basically, they're seeking to overturn the town board's decision in effect, killing this Underhill Farm 148 unit project. So, you know, that that's where it stands right now. Matt Slater gave me a statement last night. Matt Slater is a town supervisor of Yorktown. He's fired up about this. He, you know, he says it's a baseless lawsuit. It's just going to cost us time and money. And people are standing in the way of progress, things like that. Kind of to be expected his response. But yeah, he, he, he's hitting back hard. I have yet to speak with the person who filed the lawsuit. It's a new group. That was formed by Trish Sloan Rothberg, who once ran for town council. She's been one of the leading critics of this project from the beginning. Uh, so that, that's kind of something I'm working on right now. Uh, and of course, we're in big school board week. Uh, next Tuesday, we have the elections. So uh, I think this week's issue, the 512 issue, chock full of interviews with all candidates. And unfortunately, we were limited by space. It's a tough, tough thing because there's between Yorktown and Lakeland, uh, the two districts I was covering. I had 18 people running, 12 in Lakeland, six in Yorktown. And as much as I would like to each ask them five questions and really get in depth with them, I didn't really have the space to do that or time to do that with 12 different people. 
maybe in the future, uh, maybe we'll do like a special pullout or something. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. even in the paper, it, it filled up six pages of uh, this week's article news, just the Lakeland one alone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, with 12 people running, I was challenging last night, Wednesday, May 11th, the district PTA held a candidate tonight with six candidates. So I was watching that on Zoom. Unfortunately, logistically, our, we've already gone to press for our 512 issue, and our next issue doesn't come out till after the election. So I can't really cover that for the paper. Yeah. Um, and, this, and this podcast, you know, hits airwaves on, I believe, May 16th, yeah. the day before. And, and we're going to be promoting this podcast in our May 19th issues, which is so the school board issue. You know, we'll, <laughs> Yeah, our deadlines have never yeah. been friendly toward the elections. Yeah. The elections always happen on Tuesday nights, right after we go to press. So yeah. the, good, the good news is all our competitors, <laughs> all our competitors are, under, are under the same restraints, except for the journal news, which is a daily. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah but, so all our weekly competitors. That's sucks, a good reminder to suffer plug. the same. It's a good reminder to plug tap into because we'll post the election uh, results as soon as we get them in my communities, at least in Lakeland, especially. um, We have a lot of grassroots candidates who are challenging the incumbents. It's actually kind of interesting because it's kind of split into three factions in in Lakeland. We have the incumbents who actually teamed up with a guy named Michael Marchese, an endocrinologist. He's not an incumbent, but he's running with them, I guess. Um, I don't know where that connection was made, but. Then there's another faction called Lakeland Rise, which is really supporting the diversity, equity, and inclusion movement. I think the board kind of failed in their response to the critics this year. And, and, and I don't know if anyone follows Lakeland, but it kind of devolved into chaos a little bit. Accusations of racial epithets hurled at the superintendent and assistant superintendent. You know, just a lot of shouting matches, things like that kind of got out of control. They're running to kind of, because they just think the current board didn't do a good enough job. And then there's another competing faction called United for Lakeland, which um, is the opposite stance. They think the board didn't do a good enough job, but they want DEI thrown out altogether. They don't think this is something they should be focusing on. Who do you think is going to win? It's actually challenging in Lakeland because somebody brought up a good point last night. I wonder if Lakeland Rise and the incumbents almost kind of split the vote. It's kind of interesting in that respect. I am expecting a larger turnout than in years past. I think in years past, they say only like 5% of registered voters actually show out for these. I think like 1,300 people voted in last year's school board election. There's a lot more interest in this now. If I had to make a prediction, just got to go with the incumbent slate. From when I've been covering this, I, I don't think I've ever seen the incumbents lose. People tend to like controversy-free school board stuff. They like to maintain the status quo I think a lot of people, most people avoid the noise of it and say, well, my child's getting a good education. I'm happy with the way things are run. So I vote for the school board budget and I vote for the incumbents. It's usually been the way it goes. But like I said, a lot more interest this year. I think yeah, I think we're, we're going to expect a higher turnout. I know there's been even a push to vote down the budgets in these school districts uh, because you know people are even upset about that in tough times with inflation, tough economic times. People are hurting. They said the school district, you know, they should do as much as they can to keep taxes flat or even lower them. So they're kind of frustrated with the school district raising taxes, even if it's just 2%. So, yeah, I think uh, this should be an interesting test in all of our towns. I was going to bring this up, and I know we don't cover national things, but I, I am curious. This is like way off topic, and I apologize. <laughs> but like, um, but um, just things like the baby formula shortage. I just wonder, maybe we should put out a survey monkey. Just, you know, what is concerning our audience? What is concerning our readers the most? I mean, is the economy a, a source of, of fear? I think the budget vote this coming Tuesday will be an interesting test of that for sure. Yeah, I should mention that even the United for Lakeland slate, which has had issues with the board and their transparency and the budget, the way it was built, they're still urging their supporters to support the budget because yeah. they say that. I think 
if the budget gets voted down, I think the school board has another chance that they could put it back on the ballot. And if it gets voted down again, then I think they have to kind of get it flat. I might be wrong on that. After the uh, revote, if they still fail to go to an austerity budget and things like uh, sports and extracurricular activities are cut, they're really down to nothing. Yeah, that's why even critics of the school district are saying we really should approve the budget because we don't want to hurt our children. You know, being said, as a taxpayer, I don't pay taxes in the communities we distribute mm-hmm. our papers, but you know, as a taxpayer in my own community, I don't know. When I hear austerity budget, I feel like you know I want to play the violin here. I mean, it's still an enormous budget. People's taxes are still pretty pretty damn high. They're feeling the same inflationary pressures as residents. So, yes. I mean, it's costing them more to buy oil. It's costing Correct. them more to, you know, uh, heat and cool their schools and, and, and even lawn maintenance. Everything is costing them more as well. So, yeah. you know, their spending, I know in Lakeland, their spending is actually up six or seven percent, but they, they kept the taxes to two. I think they're able to do that with a big boon in state aid which helped. Um, and they, you know, kind of took from their fund balance. And we, we actually spoke to the Yorktown assistant superintendent for business. He said, like, we should be fine doing this for a, a few years, but eventually, you know, pulling from our reserves and we keep relying on state aid, keep taxes flat, it will catch up to us eventually. But they're not worried right now. But yeah, so I hear what you're saying. But at the same time, you know, teachers unions get raises, benefits are going up, inflation is driving prices of commodities up. So they're dealing with the same things that we are dealing with. So- agreed. Agreed. Inflation is a, uh, it's, it's real without a doubt. I mean, our business feels it also. So, uh, so I understand that without a doubt. Bob, let's, let's jump over to you. Oh, goody. So this story that I'm working on, this is the violin scam. The guy called me yesterday. I'm looking right. into it and it's right. kind of, you know, I've been doing this a long time and yeah. you learn something new every day. So this is interesting. And it's weird because it's got a lot of moving parts to it. But anyway, guys, if you don't know what the violence scam is, it's a group of people. And this started in the South, uh, Florida, Texas. It's moved this way. It's nationwide now, but it's moved its way up the eastern seaboard. And it has arrived in Mayapak and Carmel. And I imagine it's going to bleed out from there. And what these people do is they arrive in a town in a van and they get out. And they go into shopping centers, strip malls, places like that with their violins. And they set up a little area in the parking lot. They're like the musicians you see in, uh, in Grand Central Terminal and on the streets of Manhattan and stuff. They play with the little cup outside looking for donations. They have a sign like, I need to feed my kids or I can't pay my rent. But the problem is, is these guys aren't really playing the violin. It's fake. It's like a player piano. It's an electric violin with an electronic device in it. And so they are pretending to play it while the, it's pre-recorded music coming out of, out of their speaker. So they're not really playing it. If you Google it and you'll see videos of these guys being confronted by real violin players who come up and go, hey, yeah, let's jam, let's play together. And of course, the other people, the the scammers can't do anything. The problem is, is technically, they're not doing anything illegal. I mean, if you want to donate to a guy who's doing karaoke violin, there's nothing wrong with it. Karaoke violin is a good description of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This guy I spoke to who, who runs a store here in Maypex says they come out in front of his store all the time and they rip off his customers. So that's why he's upset. So he wants kind of like a buyer beware story out there. The cops say if it's on private property, unless like the owner of the shopping mall complains, there's not much they can do. 
I know one of our own fellow employees has been scammed by this at the tops uh, in Carmel. She Venmoed the guy $5. And uh, when I told her what happened, she was like, oh, crap. So they just want people to be aware. You know who you're talking about. Yes. Um, that person's a very nice person. So yeah, yeah. She's the type that would want to help. And yeah. They have their Venmo information on the sign, you know, so you don't even need to get out of your car. If you see it, you can just do it right from your phone on, in your car and give them some money. And she gave them five bucks and she was like, oh, well, I mean, the one here in Mayapak even has a fake baby in a stroller. How much money could they really be making off of this, though? Like, this seems like a lot of effort to make, you know, a couple of bucks in, in quarters. They're getting more than that, you know. They're getting a couple hundred dollars with the Venmo and stuff. Nobody's Venmoing them 25 cents. Like, you might put in a hunt or something like that. They're Venmoing them 5 10 $20. So, I mean, I don't have any data on that. But from all the stories I was reading across the country, I mean, they wouldn't do it if they weren't making money. And, from what I'm told, they come into town and it's not just one guy. It's like a van load of, of people and they will spread them out all over town. Now, I don't know if they're all working for one main guy and, you know, they get a percentage or how how the hierarchy works. But anyway, we're going to do a story just kind of making people aware of what's going on. And, you know, they can make their own personal decision whether they want to donate or not. But they're not really playing violin. I know actual musicians are upset with them because they went through their whole lives learning how to play and being good. And these people, they find this insulting, you know, that they're faking being able to play. And on some of the videos I saw, some of them are better at it than others at the fake playing and others you can kind of tell like they still, but the music keeps going, you know, <laughs> but others are really good at it. And one, in one video I saw, it was a, uh, a small boy, he was probably like 10 years old and he was ripping it up. Of course, it was all fake, you know. That's another concern is that these adults are taking advantage of these younger kids, you know, getting them involved in this, I don't want to say it's illicit, but this... Unsafe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had never heard anything like this before. So if they're here in Carmel and Maypink, there's a chance they're going to show up in Yorktown and Somers. I'm told they were at the Chico's and Brewster, you know, mm. next, you know, the one over there by the Everage Diner. They were in that parking lot. You know, they keep popping up and they get chased out and then they come back a few days later. So mm. they're resilient. The other story that I thought was interesting, and this is another story, you know, Brett, with the, the dog addictions. Yes. Uh -huh. I thought we were just going to do a profile on a couple of dogs that have been slow to be adopted. But there's an interesting backstory behind all this that has to do with the pandemic. Y'all might have heard that during the pandemic that pet adoptions went up. They went through the roof. People were isolated and lonely, so they were getting pets. What's that basically done now is everybody is all petted up. So SPCA, Humane Society... They're having a hard time adopting out pets now because people are like, well, we're good. But another thing that's happening is now that people are slowly returning back to work and the isolation is ending, people are giving their pets back. They don't want them anymore. I have and to say, I find that personally reprehensible. Oh, it's appalling. And, I think and, it's disgusting. And, yeah. and these people from the Humane Society, SB, they're, they're taken aback by it. But what they're doing, I mean, they could take the dog or the cat or whatever and bring it to the shelter and turn it back in. But what a lot of them are doing is just taking them out to some random neighborhood oh. and letting them loose. That's, and these, that's disgusting. 
Yeah. And they can tell because these are healthy dogs. They're just not chipped. They have no collar, but you can tell they've been fed and cleaned and all of a sudden they're out and free, you know, so they know they've been dumped. And they have two dogs, Putnam County SPCA has two dogs that they've had since about January, almost six months now. And they've had them at these different fairs and different things. And they're really cute. I have pictures of them and they just can't find homes for them because everybody's telling them we got a dog last year in the middle of the pandemic. So they're having a hard time finding homes for these shelter dogs. It's kind of sad. I think it's a great story. I would actually love if you could share that with our other papers after it's written, whatever we can do to help find these dogs, some homes. That'd be fantastic. Sure. Sure. And the one last thing real quickly, and maybe the other editors got this press release because it came out of Harkham's office, but for me, it's kind of a big story. I'm still weighing where to put it in my paper could wind up on the front page. But Judge James Reed was an icon here in Mayapak. He passed away a couple of years ago. He had a heart attack in the middle of the courtroom. I think he was 57 years old. He was the nicest guy as well. Yeah. When I first came to town and took over the paper, he was one of the first people to greet me and say, if you need anything, just call me. He was terrific. And so it was a big loss. But What they've done is through some legislation that was co-sponsored by Harkeman and Kevin Byrne, they have named a courtroom after him and the Putnam County Supreme Court. Courtroom number 301 is now known as the Judge James Reed courtroom. And it needed to be done through legislation up in Albany and it got passed and they had a big presentation with Barbara Reitz, his widow and stuff like that. And, you know, James Reitz was the one who started the drug court here in Putnam County, which is kind of a a second chance for drug offenders to get them through rehab and stuff rather than put them in jail. And it has been a remarkable success to the point that I believe it was featured on 2020 or 60 Minutes or one of those shows a few years back. And a lot of communities all across the country have used Judge Reitz's drug court as a template for their own system. So it it was a really nice thing to do. It's a feel-good story. And so depending on what else happens this week, that'll be a a good story for me. So that's what's, you know, percolating over here. Thanks for sharing that. I'm I'm particularly moved by the James Reed story from the very beginning when we launched May of Pax News. Just every time I bumped into him, you know, thank you so much for, you know, what you do for the community. I mean, just such such a gentleman. And, you know, it was genuine. It really, he just was a really genuine guy. So, um, yeah, you know, he was, a, you mentioned Relay for Life earlier, Sophia. He was a big player in Relay for Life, a big driver in that, a big supporter. He was always at the Relay for Life over at the Mayapak High School. He would, you would always see him there bopping around, shaking hands. And, you know, when he passed away, it was a big blow to this community. He was uh, definitely a big mover and shaker here. And I mean that in the best way possible because there's others that (laughs) aren't. He was a terrific guy and sorely missed. So this was a very nice gesture that they've done to memorialize him. Yeah. I guess before we wrap up, um, and I realize we didn't talk uh, too much about Somers or Nursalem. If anyone just wants to chime in, jump in. Now's a chance. Please feel free to do that. 
Yeah, it's funny. Again, we got so wrapped up in the Mount Kisco end of things this week. It's like, oh, yes, North Salem and Somers. Now we still got a lot of stuff happening uh, in our other towns. Um, like Brian said, we do sort of miss the the deadlines with the Board of Education things, but we'll have it up on our tap sites for North Salem and Somers. Nothing as crazy as what's going on in Brian's end of the woods, but uh, North Salem, three people running for three spots. Somers, we have four people going for three spots, two incumbents, two newcomers. Seems like, you know, all very qualified candidates bringing some, you know, some good ideas there. So we'll see what happens with that in the budgets. Can't jump the gun too much, but we have a, a interesting Somers story. We have kind of a, um, a longstanding local business that is announcing a, a retirement, but that's uh, something I can't give away just yet, but that'll be featured in our, our May 19th issue. So everybody should keep a lookout for that. That'll actually be a very big story, I believe. Brian, you know, you mentioned in the past how restaurants are kind of a you know big deal and any kind of new businesses. It's always the, you know, the biggest you know, clicks we get in terms of our website. This particular business is none of those. It's not a restaurant. So I think everyone will be surprised. We can't say what it is right now, but I will say that I think it will really uh, impact the community. This in Somers? Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to. I feel I like I can guess it. I don't want, I don't want we're, we're being very mysterious. Yes, here. yes. I will say that people will be sad to see this business go. I know and, it. I know the answer. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah. anyone else want to chime in? No, I don't know. Nope. All right. Other uh, than don't give up your dogs. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Go, go pet my dog now. And All don't right. pay those violinists unless they're really violent. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. <laughs>